unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come, come, come. Like chiming bells at evening tide, this word rings out all through the Bible. You can talk about to me, you can talk about me, she had the ability to inspire people. There was a certain compelling quality. Oh, a gusto of warmth that reached out and grabbed you. You wanted to believe what she believed. You wanted to understand the, the, the warmth of God, and she made you feel it. When Mother started preaching, there were no set rules for a woman preacher. And she wasn't trained in a seminary. So she did things her way that seemed logical to her. So she said, why read the Bible? Like a phone book. She also told jokes in church, which shocked many, many people. She had the common touch of plain people. She wasn't preaching to PhDs. She was preaching to ordinary people. Have you ever seen anyone lose their keys? Have you ever? I have. Did you ever accidentally shut the door of your car, one of those that had these catch locks on it, and the keys were inside? And you had to skin your arm by putting it in under the, uh, the little opening for the wind to come through at the front end. You had to try and work, and you'd get a piece of stick, and you'd get a wire, and you'd fish for that key. Oh, brother, if you would only take the key of divine healing, the Lord can let you out of your misery and your suffering. You say, sister, isn't that really now between you and... And the gatepost, isn't that rather a fake? Absolutely not. In 1915, Amy Semple McPherson was beginning her career preaching on the revival circuit. Old-time religion was starting to feel the competition from 20th century technology. There were the new moving pictures with their own images of Hollywood gods and goddesses. More and more people were buying automobiles, which meant they could come to church from some distance away, but they could just as easily go to the ballpark or the beach. Amy Semple was a country girl from Ontario, the daughter of a Salvation Army mother, the widow of a missionary, and at 25, separated from her second husband with two small children. She realized she'd need something different to bring people to the Lord, something spectacular. She was well aware that... that it was important to be seen. If, if, if the audience lost the focal point of interest, you've lost your, you lost your focal point or your message. So she had, the costumes were, were ones that would grab attention. Roberta Salter is Amy Semple McPherson's daughter. Away. This is my favorite picture of Mother's. She's wearing her original first uniform. She bought a white servant's uniform and added to it a little collar with crochet on it. Later on, it was during the war, she added a, a sailor's tie that hung down the front. And because I got cold at night, she adopted the Red Cross nurse's cape, and it became a world-famous costume. It gave her the look of a nurse and a kind of military dignity at the same time. 
And I think that that image suited that time. Daniel Epstein is the author of Sister Amy, a biography of McPherson. During the flu epidemic of 1918, Amy was preaching in in very, very large auditoriums in places where there were hardly any large gatherings at all. She was going and preaching and um, bringing comfort and, and a sense of hope to cities that really were struck very, very hard by the flu. It was a terrible epidemic. In some cities, uh, thousands of people died. Up in the first balcony, one is giving a message just now. In the messages that are spoken by the Holy Spirit, God bless him. Those services were really electrifying. People came expecting, and thousands of people even waiting outside. They couldn't get in. I'm Lita Mae Stewart, and uh, I was first introduced to Amy Semple McPherson when I was 11 years old, and I have been a member of the International Church of the Foursquare Gospel all these years. I can remember my mouth falling wide open when I saw one of the first people healed, and it was a lady probably in her 40s or 50s, and she had a huge goiter that protruded down from her jaw. And as Sister McPherson laid her hands upon her, that goiter completely disappeared before our eyes. People wanted her in Kansas City, in Oklahoma City, in, Dallas, in Texas, in Fort Worth, in Canton, Ohio, Dayton, Ohio. This is the day of Chautauqua. People came and camped and stayed for a week to listen to lectures and science order hear a preacher. My mother was the guest important speaker. There was a cook tent. Women cooked beef stew and soups and macaroni and cheese and meals with 35 cents. A tent, you could rent your own tent for about six or seven dollars. People had a wonderful time, and the kids were free. McPherson's fame and her following were growing. By 1918, she decided she needed a church of her own, and it was time to make a home for her children, Rolf and Roberta, and her mother, Minnie Kennedy, who was traveling with her. She decided California was the place and loaded up what she called the gospel car. I think Mother was one of the first women to drive a car across the continent. It was a seven-passenger Oldsmobile. There, There was a front seat and a back seat, and two little jump seats. She wore a, um, an army leather jacket. I don't know where she got it. It was probably put in a missionary barrel someplace. It was discarded. My grandfather wore a, bear, a bearskin coat, and we had a, a lap robe to keep us warm, and when we slept outside, we slept in a little tent attached to the car. McPherson arrived in California along with a wave of Americans heading west. Some were looking for health cures in the Southern California sunshine. Others came to find work and a fresh start. It was a good place for a revivalist. 
McPherson went up and down the state preaching, healing, and raising money. She even gave a sermon once from the cockpit of an airplane over San Diego's Balboa Park. On New Year's Day, 1923, she opened the Angelus Temple in the Echo Park neighborhood of Los Angeles. There was seating for 5,000. She believed that the gospel should be given in, in any way they got the message across. And in Hollywood, of course, the movies were getting the, the old message across. In the Angelus Temple Auditorium, McPherson staged old-fashioned gospel stories as illustrated sermons with scenery and music and costumes. She wrote hymns and operas for the Tabernacle Orchestra. Her outfits got grander. She wore her hair in marcelled waves and carried roses and gardenias. Off the pulpit, she posed for news photographers in a white silk suit with a stylish Chinese coolie hat. On Sunday nights, traffic jammed the streets around the packed temple. All kinds of people came to see the preacher, who made both men and women laugh and weep. There was something mystical about her. I mean, I, and I don't like to use that word. Anthony Quinn. He played saxophone as a teenager in the Angelus Temple Band. She could hold a pause. She would come out on the stage, and the lights would go down. And she would wear a, a pink or diaphanous gown. And then she would stand there and just look at the at the hold the audience's attention. And I must say, I learned that from her. And uh, then she'd lift up her arms slowly. And that gown would look like a, a bird, a beautiful bird. As you keep spreading the gown out and still not say a word, just smiling at the audience. And it was hypnotic. It was absolutely hypnotic. Then she then she started very softly. She would tell you about um, what she was feeling at the moment. She was one of the greatest actresses in the world. Actors and People in the motion picture industry used to go and see her because she was phenomenal, phenomenal. People like H.L. Mencken, he thought she was terrific. Uh, Charlie Chaplin uh, helped design some of the sets for the, uh, for the Angelus Temple, and he was a great fan of hers. Tallulah Bankhead, Amy used to go uh, to see her on stage, and afterwards the two of them would go out and laugh and joke. Whenever she came to New York, the, uh, the New Yorker would send uh, Paxton Hibben or Dorothy Parker uh, to write about Sister Amy, either to send her up or to, uh, uh, to write these admiring uh, reviews. I have come to Broadway, the mecca of sin, the citadel of worldliness. I am coming out to help bring you back, if I can, to the fold. Give me a burden for souls, Lord. Give me a love. For the lost, let my heart bleed as I own the Lord. Give me a burden for souls. Our story about Amy Sample McPherson will continue in a minute on NPR's All Things Considered.
This is NPR's All Things Considered. I'm Noah Adams. The story of evangelist Amy Semple McPherson continues. In 1924, McPherson found a way to expand her congregation into the hundreds of thousands. She became the first woman in history to preach over the wireless telephone. I was now 12 years old, 12 and a half. I had a little boyfriend. His name was Benny. The big fad in those days was homemade radios. So we worked out after school and we make making this little radio. And Mother came in and she said, what are you doing, kids? I said, we're making a radio. She said, let me hear. My mother heard that. She said, now I know what we're going to do. What is my task? To get the gospel around the world in the shortest possible time to every man and woman and boy and girl. You say, well, sister, you won't make much headway in Tibet, I'm afraid. That's kind of a closed country yet. Well, I don't know. By God's grace, we're going to back a shortwave radio station right up against their borders and shoot her over and get some men there to pick it up and and amplify it. I never saw anyone of those people... She suddenly realized that here there was a church without boundaries, a church without walls. McPherson had begun to call her religion the Church of the Foursquare Gospel. Radio KSFG went on the air in 1924, the first station ever owned by a woman. Say in right now, everybody, say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, some of you didn't say it. Now, if you put your hand up, it will help you. Come on, Radio Land. Everyone, praise the Lord. Once more, praise the Lord. <laughs> That was heard in heaven. Revivalism came to Zenith last night. After six years of backward success, Sister Sharon Falconer faced a fractious, overflowing, metropolitan crowd. Paragraph. In his 1927 novel, Elmer Gantry, Sinclair Lewis painted a devastating portrait of Amy Semple McPherson as Sister Sharon Falconer, an oversexed religious hysteric. The movie, made in 1960 with Burt Lancaster and Gene Simmons, was a little kinder. But Lewis's stand-in, the skeptical reporter Jim Lefferts, expresses Lewis's opinion that revivalists were commercializing religion. What is a revival? Is it a church? Or is it a circus sideshow complete with freaks, magic, and rabble-rousing? Hallelujah, brother. A lot of people had always suspected that not only was Sister McPherson's brand of revivalism a scam, but that Sister herself was no saint. Then, in May of 1926, scandal broke. Taking a walk near the ocean in Venice Beach, McPherson simply disappeared, leaving a trail of footprints leading to the shore. The police assumed she had drowned and sent divers to drag under Santa Monica Pier. Finally, after 32 days of headlines... She reappeared in a Mexican border town with a story that strained the faith of all but her most true believers. A couple had come to her stating that their child was critically ill in the car and wanted her to come and pray for the child. When she got to the car, they pushed her in the back seat. They they kidnapped her. They took her to a desert shack. And she was able to cut with a can the little ropes, the ropes that held her hands. And she walked and walked for, uh, for some miles there to the closest town. 
There were rumors that during the disappearance, Sister McPherson had been spotted in a love nest in Carmel, California, with a married man. The problem was that Mother could not prove she was kidnapped. But the important thing is that no matter what happened, what trials and tribulations she went through, she never lost sight of her mission. She would come back from being harassed by the press, wash her face, wash the tears away, pick up her Bible, and go back and preach a sermon. The next few years were difficult ones for McPherson. The stock market crash in 1929 preceded a period of feuds and lawsuits between McPherson and various church officials and family members. In 1931, she married for a third time. Have I got a beautiful bride? I'm very, very happy. I feel that I'm the most happy person in all the world. Her new husband was church musician D.I. Hutton. Telegrams and phone calls. I think this is the beginning of a very happy life together. But only two years later, while McPherson was abroad, Hutton filed for divorce. The reporters were waiting when her ship docked in New York. So happy to be back in America, back to our church and to the evangelistic work. What are your plans in reference to your husband, Miss Hutton? I have formed no plans. All this news which has come to me has come very suddenly and without warning. I feel I must wait till I get home and know the details. I think she would have liked to have been had, had a husband. But she was a lady who was focused on a mission. And when she was focused on a mission, she was extremely happy. But the day came that she closed the Bible and went home alone. And she was lonely. At home, she was a good mother. We made fudge, went our picnics together, had a wonderful time. But she still was unhappy. There's a newsreel of McPherson in 1935 at a parade in downtown L.A. celebrating the 25th anniversary of her ministry. She's back in her white uniform and dark cloak, her military hat cocked to one side. She's still a commanding presence, but she looks exhausted. In Oakland, California, in a hotel room, death came suddenly this afternoon to a famous evangelist. Amy Semple McPherson. Next month, she would have been 54 years of age. On September 27, 1944, after the first in a series of new revival meetings, McPherson was found unconscious in her hotel room. There was a half-empty bottle of sleeping pills nearby. The death was ruled accidental. McPherson's funeral was the biggest ever seen in Southern California. When God made the keys to the blessed gates of pearl that open upon heaven's fold. After Amy Semple McPherson, the microphone and the pulpit were forever joined together. There have been dozens of radio and televangelists since her, all with huge followings. But still, no one has ever come close to Amy Semple McPherson's ownership of the hearts and souls of so many kinds of Americans. 